It's 12.01, The Witching Hour. You're listening to WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. You are cleared for departure. Your destination, the late night fright. Commencing transmission in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner, Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me as always, and for the 200th time, is my superstitious co-host, the only girl I know that will walk under a ladder over broken glass while carrying a black cat, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Today is February 1st, 2021, and this is indeed the 200th edition of the Late Night Fright, And it's also our two-year anniversary. Our journey began with Wes Craven's 1996 meta-slasher film Scream. Faith, we've traveled the roads of the thrillers, the chillers, the slashers, monsters big and small. And tonight we find ourselves arriving at the original House of Horror, Universal Studios, with two pictures from their legendary run starring three immortals in the genre. Before we get to that, we would like to welcome all of you to Cozy Corner and to our little program. We would especially like to welcome any astral travelers or interdimensional beings who may be tuning in or joining us here in the studio. Greetings, one and all. Whether you were with us from the very beginning or if you're a new listener, we are so glad you're here. Faith, I've looked into the crystal ball and I see that we have two pretty good films this evening. What's up first? First up tonight is 1934's The Black Cat, starring Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. We've got Lost Love, Murder, Revenge, and just a little Satanism thrown in for good measure. The perfect way to start off the evening. Oh, indeed it is. And what is our second film tonight? We have the 1945 Monster Rally House of Dracula, starring Lon Chaney Jr., Lionel Atwell, and John Carradine. We've got Dracula, The Wolfman, Frankenstein, a mad scientist, and a hunchback. The perfect way to finish off our 200th episode. Two classics from the original House of Horror. Two years broadcasting here from WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio and two extremely grateful hosts. The Black Cat starring Boris and Bella is up first. We're going to take a short pause for a coffee cause, but stay tuned because we are going to play our very first new segment here in the break. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and get ready to howl at the moon. I am Dan. I am Faith. You are listening for the 200th time to the Late Night Fright. We'll see you on the other side. Now the news. The Cozy Corner Society of Dark Wizards will be hosting their annual meet and greet this Saturday at the Public Library. If you've been hexed, cursed, or just want a cupcake, they want you to stop by and say hello. The Dark Wizards Society of Cozy Corner, not affiliated with the Cozy Corner Society of Dark Wizards, and they want me to stress that, will be hosting their annual meet and greet at the same time right across the street in the Parkwright parking lot. Hopefully they've worked out their differences. We all remember what happened last year. Forty days of darkness and we all live to tell the tale. 
I'm still finding locust shells in my backyard. Cozy Corner's favorite resident psychic, Antoine Duplay, is releasing his first book, In the Palm of Your Hand, Fortune Telling for Dummies. Antoine's self-published book is set to hit stores next week and will be available here in Cozy Corner at both Madame Hill's Juju Emporium and the Dark Depository. This is Antoine's second book. His first was a metaphysical cookbook entitled The Duplay Souffle. Hey Faith, did you know I'm psychic? I did not. I can tell you what you did last night. What did I do? You went to the King's Palace Drive-In Theater. I did. I saw you there. After 50 years, the King's Palace Drive-In Theater on Sacred Burial Road is shutting down to make way for the new Welsh Jennings facility. Over the next four weeks, they'll be showing classics, old favorites. So if you get the chance, go on down to take one last walk down memory lane and catch a flick or three. Do you want to tell them what we saw last night? I do. What did we see? Scream! This is Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. If you are getting it on, thinking about getting it on, or perhaps have just gotten it on, then Afterglow is the show for you. Join me as I play the best classic soul and R&B slow jams. My show is responsible for having made more babies than any show in the history of shows. Fact. My show is also responsible for having played the 1972 Tower Power classic, Still a Young Man, more than any show in the history of shows. Fact. Come get it on with me, Bobby, every Friday night after the late night fright. Afterglow. Love that, Bobby. Yeah, I know. WKMF cannot verify the validity of any claims made by Bobby, but we do urge you to listen to his show. And this is the old chart room for the long-range guns. The guns are gone, but the charts are still here. I'm about to kill you! Ah! 
Faith, isn't this how it always happens? You fall in love, get married, you honeymoon in Hungary, and find yourself a prisoner in the home of a Satanist. That's always how it happens. Without fail, right? Without fail. 1934's The Black Cat was Universal's biggest hit of that year and marks the first of eight screen collaborations between stars Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, who were the biggest names in horror at the time. Some would argue they're still the biggest names in horror. And they would be right. The British critic Philip French, British critic Philip French, there you go, said it best when he called it, quote, the first and best of seven Karloff-Lugosi joint appearances the movie unfolds like a nightmare that involves necrophilia, allurophobia, drugs, a deadly game of chess, torture, flaying, and a black mass with a human sacrifice. This bizarre, utterly irrational masterpiece, lasting little more than an hour, has images that bury themselves in the mind. End quote. Lugosi's character, Dr. Vitas Vertigast, seeks revenge on Hjalmar Polzig, played by Karloff, whose character is modeled after famed occultist Alistair Crowley. While Vertigas wasted away in a Russian prison, Polzig stole his wife and daughter. Vertigast is back for blood. American honeymooners Peter and Joan Allison, played by David Manners and Julie Bishop, credited here as Jacqueline Wells, find themselves in the middle of the conflict, and Polzig has his sights set on Julie wanting to sacrifice her to his dark overlord. Faith, isn't that how it always happens? That's how it always happens. The film was directed by Edgar G. Ulmer from a script by Peter Rorick and features a score by Heinz Eric Romheld, which incorporates themes from Liszt, Chopin, and Tchaikovsky. Music encompasses 80% of the film's soundtrack, a feature very unique to a film from 1934. The Black Cat is also one of the first motion pictures to feature a digital clock, another historical oddity, and features a satanic mass made up of Latin gibberish. Tonight, we will be scoring The Black Cat in four categories. Overall film, Karloff quotient, badass Bella, and creep factor. In lieu of stars, we will be awarding The Black Cat bags of kitty litter. It's fitting, right? It is very fitting. Isn't that the way it always goes? That's how it is. Faith, this is our 200th show. You have the honor. Overall film, what did you think of 1934's The Black Cat starring Boris and Bella? I went 3.5 bags of kitty litter here. I think the movie was so visually stunning. I think there was so much goodness going on. I feel like there were moments, though... Not throughout the whole movie, and in, in nothing to ruin the movie, maybe some slight plot problems for me personally as a watcher. That's just, you know, my opinion. But again, it didn't take away too much of a good time from watching this. I mean, the movie's beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. This, uh, you know, this movie, when we talk about universal horror, the monsters always come up. They made other horror movies, though, too. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those other horror movies. So sometimes a movie like The Black Cat won't get as much play as something like A Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein right. or Dracula. And here you have two of arguably the greatest, maybe the greatest horror stars of all time. We're coming off of a month of Peter Cushing and Christopher <laughs> Lee, two of the other greatest horror movie stars of I all know. time. And it's hard to, you really shouldn't have to pick. You know, you shouldn't have to pick between them. these guys together. This is an event to see these two men together. 
much in the vein. Uh, you know what I was thinking about when I was watching this and not plot wise or movie wise or structure wise, just the fact that you're seeing these two personalities together. There was two movies right. I was thinking of face off with John Travolta and Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage, just because of how great those actors are mm-hmm. in that. And then escape plan with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, because that was the first time those two had come together mm-hmm. on screen for, you know, for a, a long film. They, they had a scene in the expendables, but escape plan was kind of like their coming out party, yeah. you know, here you have a pairing of two actors who are just icons in the <laughs> genre. And, you know, we're 1934, we're three years after Dracula and Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing. What an amazing <laughs> collaboration between these two. It really is. I gave it four bags of kitty litter. I understand what you're saying with some of the very small little plot things. And I was so able to just overlook those because of the guys. Right. And, and I almost did. And then I even read somebody somebody had read a, uh, read a review after i, I kind of watched it and they kind of were where i was like the movie though is so good to see these people you almost don't even really they didn't even need a plot for the movie because they were in it and it was you know it, such a, yeah. a treasure to see them it's together. a it's a privilege to see them yeah. together here uh this and and i got drawn into this immediately i know you did too mm-hmm. i got drawn into it and the, the story is so interesting. And yeah. you know what I love about this is nothing happens in this movie. <laughs> it really hinges right. on uh, a lot like 1931's Dracula on looks. And, mm-hmm. and man, when they, when they say things, it, it all lands, mm-hmm. you know. And the presence of Karloff and Lugosi separately and mm-hmm. together is just unbelievable. And it's such a... Uh, Philip French, the British critic. I love that. The British critic is named <laughs> right. Philip French. Um, I think he really hit it on the head. It's like a dream. It's mm-hmm. it, it's a very dreamy. It's got a surreal quality to it. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with the design of that house, which I I love this about this movie. You'd think it would be a gothic mm-hmm. thing. Right. You know, you'd think it would be a gothic thing. It's, yeah, which is what you kind of associate with that time period. It's so and, much like, and darkness. And they say and, it's an ed- inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. It has nothing to do with The Black Cat by Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe. And the producer or the director, yeah, Ulmer, I think later in an interview said, we put it on there to get interest generated, you right. know. Um, and The Black Cat itself really didn't have much to do with the plot of the film, except Bella's scared of them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but... Um, you know, you would expect it to be a gothic piece of work, but no, no, no. It's it's a modern looking mm-hmm. thing. It's it, it kind of defies expectations, you know, and uh, subverts expectations. People love to say that these days, mm-hmm. but it does. You know, it's it's not a a, a dungeon. Mm-hmm. It, no, it's just this modern house built on this fort. And oh. man, the set design, the music, it's amazing. And I think I this plays so well today because of the soundtrack, because there is music in mm-hmm. it and, and that takes up some of the space. Let me ask you this. Did it feel like a movie that's clocks in at 67 minutes or so? It's a little over an hour. It's barely over an hour. Did it feel like it was an hour? No. If, for, if Honestly, it kind of felt like it, it kind of flew by for me personally. I feel like once I was in it, it was like, I guess it was, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? It kind of just felt like it was it goes. pacing. It, well, yeah, there was. The pace, I mean, the yeah, I had is, no is, timing problems with it. It it's was really, really great. The pace is just is is really great. The the again the surreal kind of uh, set design with the, mm-hmm. with the it looks 
sort of art deco modern you know it's it's very unique look Mm -hmm. i've never seen anything like this no i love it and uh very very good this is a crown jewel for me in the universal canon oh yeah you know and and again rightfully so the monsters get top billing and they should those are Mm -hmm. amazing films faith and i were talking about dracula as we were you know getting ready to do the show i watched that last night i guess because bella's been on my mind with this and it's been a while since i've seen dracula and just how wonderful that film is and how wonderful he is we're going to talk about the two lead performances in just a second but i just the way it starts and ends it just (laughs) there's something really kind of magical and and odd and weird about this that as odd and weird as it is it feels completely normal (laughs) for this for this uh for this you know world Mm -hmm. you know it's it's really unique we're going to talk about the supporting uh uh, cast Mm -hmm. a little bit first uh let's get to our two leads. And uh, first up is the Karloff quotient. And um, where'd you go with that? I gave it four bags of kitty litter. And what I like about this is we've done enough Karloff on the show. Now we've done uh, two of the three Frankenstein films. He was in as the monster. And Boris is a guy that generates a lot of sympathy. Mm -hmm. The monster is one of the great film creations of all time. And we've seen other people play it. We're going to talk about somebody else playing it tonight. Uh, He's not in that film very much. Glenn Strange plays the monster in 1945's House of Dracula. He's not in it enough to... Really compare. Really (laughs) compare, yeah. But uh, Lon Chaney played the monster. Bella actually played the monster in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And so there are other actors out there you can compare and contrast Karloff to Karloff, like Lugosi as Dracula is the gold standard for the monster. And he brings to that role, something this, this awful looking creature should be completely reprehensible. Yet we feel such sympathy and empathy and we, and, and we, we you kind of want to hug him. Right. You know? Yeah. And that to me is all Karloff because mm-hmm. I've seen other people play the monster. And it doesn't, come off there there no <laughs> certain actors are born to play certain roles he was born to play the creature yes he was so we're establishing a baseline here even in the mummy in which he is vile and evil there is a sympathetic note of tragedy mm-hmm. to that guy mm-hmm. you know his wonderful work on the grinch which is, might be what he's best remembered for outside of frankenstein mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as 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 <laughs> you know, greasy as 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 the the Grinch is, uh, slick like a oily black peel, I think banana peel, whatever. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of sympathy there too. Right. Watching him in this, you know, and the closest you can compare in the films that we've done on this show is Imhotep, maybe because he's out and out villain. Mm-hmm. Man, this is this is there's nothing sympathetic here. Not at there's all. There's nothing <laughs> redeeming about this guy. Mm-mm. He is a slithery snake of a human being, and there is something that is so off-putting about seeing Boris Karloff <laughs> channel whatever this guy Polzig is, you know. And he just—you have to watch him when mm-hmm. he's on the screen. But my gosh, he's—he's he's vile. I know he's vile. How did you score the Karloff performance here? I scored it four. Because you can just absolutely tell how amazing of an actor he is here. I mean, 
the the presence he has, his eyes, both of their eyes. This yeah. movie is full of just yeah. the eyes all over the screen. It's just so striking. But he is just, he is something else. Unbelievable presence. Unbelievable. Standing there, not doing much. Uh, Jack Pierce did apply some makeup to him. That's so. I mean, yeah, that's his face. It's not like he's under appliances, right. but you can tell there's some 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 eyeliner and some mm-hmm. caked on things. He looks almost like he's wearing a mask in mm-hmm. a way, like he's wearing a human mask, right? You know, which I and I love his hair in oh, this too. Oh, I do too. too. Yeah, and uh, love the look. The look, the uh, the the flowing, almost priest like robes yes. that he's wearing. It's like what is that exactly? It's like a kimono almost. It's it's something like that. Something yeah. very flowing. Uh, he kind of almost looks like a Sith Lord, you know, from Star Wars (laughs) in this. And of course, then we have that lisp that he had. And that lisp is so wonderful because that lisp is so endearing. Mm -hmm. And and here it's absolutely terrifying. And and the way that he employs his voice, it's, it's his physical presence. And it's that, that vocal quality that he had. And, but again, you know, I hadn't seen this in a long time and going into it, you know, you seen him so just effortlessly evil. (laughs) <laughs> and knowing that that's not how he was in real life. I know. It was it was a trip for me to see that, to, to watch it, this. It really is. And I love the fact that he, it, it feels like a role reversal for them. For, yeah, because for the Frankenstein being the sympathetic uh, character and Dracula yeah. being the real kind of vile character. Right. And here we have Boris playing <laughs> the, the vile character and Bella is getting all of the sympathy. Right. All of of the sympathy. I love this performance. I love it because it, it, you said it, he was a great actor. And this really, when you, when you compare this to Frankenstein and, and any number of the films he was making in the thirties and forties at the height of his you know, uh, popularity and fame, this, this so it's sticks just, out. It so sticks out, you know? know, and it's so unapologetically evil. I made the comment, I was watching the movie and there were, there was, I happened to pause the movie for a moment and got up to go get something to drink, come back into the room and I'll look at where I'd paused it and it was on him and it was this look and I sent faith the picture and I, and, and it's this image he's in like mid sentence and it's creeptastic. <laughs> and my thought when I saw it was, well, he could have played Freddy Krueger and, and yep. I mean, in, <laughs> Not only could Karloff have played Freddy Krueger, I think it would have been the most terrifying thing we've ever seen in our lives if Karloff had had the opportunity to play I agree. Freddy Krueger. And uh, I know I planted that seed in your mind because mm-hmm. I watched it before you did. And that was running through your mind as you were watching yep. it. What, what do you think of just, and, and I know that's kind of an out there idea, but what do you think of like that idea though? Because this is old school, you know, kind of, we're talking about the old school now come yeah. into the more modern yeah, you yeah. Had, you had planted that in my head, so I was like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go in and kind of I'm gonna watch and see if I see it, and I absolutely did. I mean, this role in particular, you can see it absolutely terrifying. And the body language and yes. everything too. This is an amazing performance by him. Absolutely amazing performance by him. And audiences apparently were warming to. I mean, this was their Universal's biggest hit of the year. It has everything to do with the two guys. Oh, absolutely. I really do. So he he has a wonderful co-star, a, another icon. Uh, this category is called Badass Bella. It's a perfect name for the it's, category. <laughs> I, 
I was, you know, we had Korloff Quotient, and then we got Bella. I was trying to think of something with the B, and I was like, well, bad, he's badass, badass Bella. There you go. How did you score? How many bags of kitty litter <laughs> did you give badass Bella? I also gave it four bags of kitty litter. I think to me, he stood out as much as Karloff is is amazing. For me, here he was just just as amazing. He stood out. He was the so real. Much. He was the real surprise to me here. Yes, again because I had not seen this in so long, and and there were image. Philip French, the British critic, mm-hmm. said it said it best. <laughs> I think that there are images that kind of imprint themselves, mm-hmm. and so there were things I remembered from this. I forgot how great he was in this. And we talked about the role reversal. Here we have Bella kind of playing the hero mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. It, no, not in a lot of ways. He is. He is. <laughs> uh, the protagonist of this. He's the one that is eliciting all the sympathy. And I, again, I watched Dracula last night kind of wanting to get that mm-hmm. into my brain to see if I was right about, man, this is so di- It is. This is so different. And it shows, I want to parrot what you said. This shows what a great actor, a great actor. he was. And... For me, it's the moment on the train when the suitcase is about to fall on the married couple, uh, played by David Manners, and I want to get her name correct, uh, Julie Bishop, playing Peter and Joan Allison, and he catches it, and this little this little smile he gives them, mm-hmm. and and but also he's very likable and he's very intelligent. That's the other thing; he's very yeah. intelligent, and he's also carrying around this pain. And there's so many great scenes in this movie; the chess scene being one of them, but. The scene where Karloff brings him down into the old map room and Bella's wife, who uh, Karloff hooked up with after Bella's character got sent off to the Russian prison and she died two years after that war from pneumonia. And he has her in this glass case like a mannequin doll, like a trophy almost. You know? yep. And that reminded me of Mr. Freeze from Batman. With yeah. Nora Fre- I mean, were you catching that vibe? Yes. And it would not surprise me if that was an influence on this because so many of those Batman and early comic book characters, yeah. but Batman in particular, were influenced by oh, yeah. films and horror movies. But that was, and the look on Bella's face in that scene when you can tell he's like just breaking up, you know, and, and the vocal delivery there too. His, his voice is wonderful. Oh, I love his this. voice. And it's a it, yes, it's the same timbre and pitch, and and of course he's his accent yeah, is there yeah. from Dracula, but it's a completely different vocal performance from Dracula. You know, he's he's much more fluid here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, honestly, I don't know if that was because he was more comfortable with English. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it was definitely more fluid than yeah. than Dracula, and I loved him in this. I loved seeing him play the hero. I loved seeing him, and I think honestly, I think. Dracula is the only other movie I've seen him in, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, I believe so, but I can We need to fix think of. We, we need, need to, to fix, fix that. that for sure. So comparing that performance and this performance, that's what made it so that's what stood out so much to me is like, wow, this is a complete opposite and it's so good. And you just I loved seeing him on the screen. I loved hearing him. Yeah. I just loved it. Both of these guys, this is a great performance. I feel like this is like the ultimate companion piece to their to their master pieces, mm-hmm. you know, Dracula and and Frankenstein, or Bride of Frankenstein, or you want to put those the two Frankenstein films together, however you want to do it. Um, this uh, this is very close to to like that like ultimate kind of like oh you like what they did here, look at what else right. they could do, you know. Mm-hmm. Lugosi's other great performance was also next to Karloff in a film that we're going to cover here uh, in the not too distant future on the show, uh, Son of Frankenstein, where he 
uh, debuted the character of Igor, who uh, was a hunchback. This is where the Igor trope comes from. And if you think Lugosi was amazing in Dracula and then in this, when you see him as Igor under makeup and completely having a ball, like doing this character, it's it, it's amazing. To, it's yeah, amazing. I definitely need to see that. Uh, it, it, for me, you know, Dracula, I mean, gosh, that, perform- that, that movie's 90 years old. That's crazy. It's 90 years old. And that performance is still the gold standard by which we hold all screen Draculas and, and horror movies in yeah. a lot of ways. But if you ask me, I think Igor might be like his his really great creation because it's so much fun. But seeing him here, this is like such a departure from Dracula and Igor. And it's amazing. There, there was such sadness in his eyes, too. His eyes were just saying so much. In yeah, this you could really feel him, I feel like, yeah. in this movie. And I told you earlier, before we recorded, with both of these guys, we don't have it today where we have that presence from, from actors. I don't feel like we I do. really don't feel with like exceptions. we With exceptions, exactly. obviously. But we always say it about Peter Cushing. We say it about Christopher Lee. It's just those men had something that people today just don't really bring for me. You know, like, I mean, nobody really stands out anymore the way these guys did. And it's not showy or flashy at all. And their performances being not showy or flashy is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah. and and it's amazing, though, you know, because it's so easy to make fun of a guy like Nicolas Cage. We've talked about Cage (laughs) on the show many times. We're card-carrying members of the Cage (laughs) fan club. Um, You know, and that's what is so interesting about Cage to me is I don't think of Cage as showy or flashy. I really don't, even when he's when he's out on a limb. But that man has presence, Mm -hmm. and God bless him for trying to stand out amongst stand out. And I'm thinking of like you know we talked about him with the nouveau shamanistic acting, Mm -hmm. you know, which bring a different approach. It's so easy to laugh at that. It's so easy, but the Mm -hmm. guy is really a craftsman, and Mm -hmm. he knows what he's doing, and God bless him for like trying to move his his craft right. forward. And he's always interesting to watch. Oh yeah. Even and we've seen him in some bad movies. Yeah, even in bad movies, it's it's always fun to watch. Always. Uh, f- uh, sometimes for the same reason that you love a horror movie because you can laugh at it. Mm-hmm. it. It's it's not that he's performing badly. It's just wow, he really went for that. You know exactly. <laughs> And and I feel like he has presence, and it's like these guys. You just the four guys you just mentioned, the four I mean greatest horror stars of all time have presence, you know. And even these guys, when they're not doing much, are so mesmerizing to watch. What did you think of the pairing of them? But these these two energies, you know, kind of kind of sharing the screen. They had uh, they were not great friends. Um, Socially. For a reason, or so, they just, just socially. didn't really know each other? Um, I think Bella kind of wanted to hold Boris a little bit out of this. There was a misconception that Boris Karloff was trying to take parts from Bella, which could not be further from I the truth. I did read that. And they had a conversation, and Boris Karloff was not trying to do that. He let Bella know that. It's not, they were just not friends socially, but they worked together a lot, and, and they were very friendly, and, mm-hmm. and they were very affectionate towards they liked each other quite a bit um bella even said he he, he liked board it, it so while there may have been quote unquote professional rivalry mm-hmm. they did get along there was no uh karloff definitely wasn't trying to steal scenes from bella as he, he told him that i didn't get that vibe and it, they don't feel like they're trying to steal scenes from each mm-hmm. other they feel like they're they're two really great craftsmen 
working together that understand what this thing is yeah. and, and, and are making it work. And they both have their moments. And like with great heroes and villains and great performances, one is better because of the other. It's it's right. a, it's a great center. I, I love this this combination. I do too. I can't wait to talk about Son of Frankenstein with, yeah. with uh, Karloff playing the monster and, and Bella playing Igor. It's really, really, really wonderful. But uh, I Bella really took me by surprise in this. Me too. He really did. I mean, so good. Really good. Uh, let's move uh, on to our final category, the creep factor. So just general things about the movie. This does have some creepy stuff in it. And also, uh, we should have had a separate category for them. But the supporting cast here, we'll throw them in here with creep factor. David Manners uh, appeared in Dracula as Jonathan Harker uh, with Bella Lugosi. He also appeared in The Mummy with Boris Karloff. So he was no stranger to these two gentlemen. Uh, you know, he's got street cred mm-hmm. for the horror films. I really enjoyed him as Peter, and I really enjoyed Julie Bishop. Credited here as Jacqueline Wells for some reason. I couldn't find any literature mm. on why, that, you know, stage yeah. names and all that. Yeah. As Peter and John, I really like them because you have to like them for this movie to work because they're exactly. our, our, our proxy mm-hmm. going into this very strange world. They're funny. Yeah. They're so funny. And I love, there's a scene with the two of them where they're talking about how weird all this is and the guys in a Polzig, uh, Karloff's character and uh, what's his name? Polzig. Yeah. And they're, yes, and they're, like and they're pronouncing it and they feel like real people mm-hmm. for the most part. And you don't want anything bad to happen to her because you know, he's got his sights set on it. Right. And I think David Manners is just absolutely charming, effortlessly charming. Mm-hmm. And I like them as a couple. And, and uh, I like the whole thing with them making the decision to leave the house, mm-hmm. you know, some really great stuff with them. But there is there's some creepy stuff in here. And uh, to finish off, I went four bags of kitty litter. I went four straight across the board on this. I went four with that as well. There is stuff that's happening under the surface of this, surface of this movie that is very unnerving that mm-hmm. is not really explicitly stated. And a lot of this, uh, a lot of the horror and terror of this comes through the performances, as mm-hmm. we just said, and the situation and some of the stuff that is stated and kind of under just hanging out. And again, I'm going to go back to our favorite British critic, Philip French. Um, the movie unfolds like a nightmare that involves necrophilia, allurophobia, drugs, a deadly game of chess, torture, flaying, and a black mass with human sacrifice. I mean, this is a movie that has <laughs> Satanism baked into the DNA of it. It has a torture scene at the end that is absolutely brutal, and it's probably more brutal because uh, if you have not seen the movie, spoiler alert, uh, Lugosi at the end basically skins Karloff alive, yes. and it's done in shadow, in shadow yeah. and it's very terrifying and the guy does have it coming and that look on Lugosi's face at the end when he's got him where he wants him mm-hmm. you know it's just absolutely unnerving it's it, it's so good i actually had to rewind the end and watch it like two or three times so i was like wow <laughs> that's a really it's powerful it's, it's powerful it's powerful stuff and it just there's so much going on in the surface here and i love the fact though i it gets props because the satanic ritual mass is all gibberish. It's it. Did you see, did you see this in your research? Yes. It's gibberish. Yep. Like, like here's the dog, you know, like just, it's not cause I was watching it and I was going, man, that's, that's hardcore. That is, that is right? unsettling. And then I was like, that is really, I was, and then there was a part of me that was going, did they really? Cause look, 
Hollywood is into some weird crap, okay? I know. And you know this, and our listeners probably know this. They're into some weird crap out there in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They really are. And there was a part of me that was, and I know it's been going on a long time, more so in the past 20, 25 years, really. I mean, there's some weird stuff. You go down that rabbit hole, like, it's it's weird. Um, Adrenochrome, look it up. So, (laughs) and don't blame me for what you find. (laughs) But uh, I was like, man, did they really just put one of these on screen? You know? <laughs> and then I started reading and I was like, oh, wait, this is gibberish. So they're having like a laugh with it. You yes. know? It's still unnerving. And it's the idea, though, that there's these elites that are partaking in this uh, this black mass ceremony that mm-hmm. was very unnerving. One of my favorite Karloff moments in the film is before the black mass when he walks outside on his little balcony and like the sun's getting ready to go down. Mm-hmm man, all's right in this guy's world. It's like he like takes that deep breath like, ah, yes, Yes. here we go. Yeah, but there's some real dark stuff going on under the surface of this movie. You know, I mean, the guy keeps the dead girl in a cage. He's sleeping with Lugosi's daughter. I know. You know, it's just, and I just want to add, we have another universal horror movie with a death lever. Yeah. Remember, Bride of, Bride of Frankenstein had the death yes. lever. This has a death lever because this fort that this uh, house is built on is rigged for dynamite underneath. For some reason, they didn't <laughs> unrig the dynamite. And Lugosi pulls the death lever at the end. But it gives the Allisons just enough time to get out. But that, it's, it is very creepy when you start to really think about I all know. of this. I know. The more I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, this is it's dark. Very dark. Very dark. And, and I love... The visualization of that spiral staircase and how they're having to hurry up and run up it yeah. before the house explodes. Like that's there's a lot of interesting stuff to actually look at with this movie. It's it's really beautiful. I mean, and, it, and it's interesting because it takes place in really one location. Yeah. You know, outside of some bookends on a train, mm-hmm. it, it really takes place at this one location and you're trapped there with them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to get out. I was like, get out of the house, you know. (laughs) Run for your life. Run for your life. Uh, This is extremely well done. I think this movie holds up uh, great. I think so, too. I think it's almost 90 years old itself, and and this movie holds up uh, maybe better than some of the classic monster films because, uh, again, the score, because you Mm -hmm. you got a lot of the music's wonderful. The music is gorgeous. Really gorgeous, and it plays, so it feels a little more modern and... uh, uh, the performances feel maybe a little bit ahead of their time, possibly. Yeah. You know, it, really, just just a well done piece here. Mm-hmm. Real, really well done. And uh, classic. I know. I can't believe it took us so long to get to this movie. I know we talked about it in the past. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so glad we finally did it because this was just so good. This this is the perfect film for a 200th it really, episode. It really is <laughs> it really because is. you have you have the two guys here, Boris and Bella. So. Uh, the films tonight, we have been pitting films against one another. The films tonight are not in competition. They, uh, we're just scoring the films. We will tally up our scores and have those after we talk about our next film. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to take a very short break. But when we get back, we have 1945's Monster Rally, House of Dracula, that stars really the third uh, member of that trifecta, that universal monster trifecta, Mr. Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. In a, in a film that features a mad scientist, mm-hmm. the hunchback. <laughs> what else have we got? We got the Wolfman. We got Dracula. We got Frankenstein's Frankenstein. monster. We got, we got them all. 
one, two, three, four, five, five monsters in our next film. Do you have anything you would like to add about the Black Cat before we take a break? I think that's it. That's it for me, too. Well, we are going to take a very short pause for a coffee cause. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium, specializing in amulets, talismans, and spell books. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium, located on Sacred Burial Road next to King's Drive-In Theater. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium, Juju for you, you. Are you a recently deceased spirit trying to get into contact with the loved ones you left behind? Get in touch with Antoine Duplay, psychic and medium. Let me make the connections. Antoine has helped teens of people make contact with their loved ones. I'm not always right, but I'm willing to give it a shot. No message is too big, no message is too small. One time I helped a lady tell her husband where she kept the extra toilet paper. Crisis averted. Antoine Duplay, Psychic. The lines are open. centuries, kept alive by the blood of innocent people, when the full moon rises, I turn into a werewolf, with only one desire, to kill. I tried to perform the miracle of science, and failed. My blood is contaminated with the blood of Dracula. In House of Frankenstein had been an enormous commercial success for Universal Studios. The monster crossover film, since dubbed A Monster Rally, featured Count Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, a hunchback, and a mad scientist. A sequel was inevitable. Right, Faith? I mean, when you have all those together, Absolutely. you want to see more. Of course. Released in 1945, House of Dracula finds the world's most famous bloodsucker searching for a cure to his blood-sucking ways. John Carradine reprises the role from House of Frankenstein and enlists the aid of Dr. Franz Edelman, portrayed here by Onslow Stevens. Also searching for a cure to his strange affliction is Larry Talbot, once again portrayed here by Lon Chaney Jr., 
Glenn Strange makes his second appearance as Frankenstein's creation, and Jane Addams, who would later go on to play Vicki Vale in 1948's Batman and Robin serial, plays Nina, the film's hunchbacked lab assistant. The cast is rounded out by Martha O'Driscoll and Lionel Atwell, one of the great universal horror actors in one of his final roles. Directed by Errol C. Kenton from a script by Edward T. Lowe, House of Dracula was a commercial hit for the original House of Horror, but was the last time the characters of Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and the Wolfman would appear together in a serious horror venture under the Universal banner. Tonight we will be scoring House of Dracula in the following categories. Overall film, vampire lust, full moon fever, and assorted creatures slash rally participants. In lieu of stars, we will be awarding House of Dracula, Cloves of Garlic. A little better than Bags of Kitty Litter, right? A little bit. Faith, you have the honor. How did you score House of Dracula in overall film? I went two and a half cloves of garlic for House of Dracula. This is not my favorite film, but I didn't hate it. I think it's right there in the middle for me. I yeah. think th- I think there's a th- I think there's something lacking. I can't tell you what, but I just not as strong for me. I went three. I went three. I almost went two five. I was close <laughs> to going two five. I went three. Uh, the biggest knock this movie has is it's not House of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein. I think that's a wonderful picture. Oh yeah, and we've covered that on the show. <laughs> I think that movie might even be a little underrated. I think I that think movie so. has such a tight uh, story structure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the road picture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mentality of it. You know, they start off here, they're going here. They're, there's a there's a, a destination in mind, both thematically and physically for the right. characters. Plus, plus in House of Frankenstein, you have Karloff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karloff. And I love the fact that that uh, House of Frankenstein was Karloff's final. Universal horror film, and in a way, now he's playing Doctor Frankenstein, and I think that's a wonderful kind of synergy there. You right, know, the, the way that it it, it, it turns. I know. Um, so you you don't have that, and plus, with with that film going into this film, now you watch this and you kind of have a well, we've been we've done this before. Mm-hmm. This is still a very fun film. I I like a lot of elements of this film. Me too. Um, I like. I like the general story. I I like um, that it is different from House of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like an explicit cash grab. No. You know. Right. It does feel like fan service. It, it feels like it. it you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, they like it. Let's do that again. <laughs> yeah. You know? Let's right. do that again. I like this movie because of Onslow Stevens playing Franz Edelman. I I like his performance at the center of this. I feel like it's a very grounded, grounded centered yeah. performance and you like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I liked him. Yeah, and I, I didn't enjoyed, want anything to happen yeah, to him. Yeah, I enjoyed watching him. And then so then the, the the twist turns with him where he starts turning into a vampire mm-hmm. and uh it's great. And then yeah. he's great playing the kind of Jekyll and Hyde Mm-hmm. You know, role I think is really is really great, but uh, I think I think the thing that carries us across the finish line for me is narrative problems aside, it's performances, and it seems like everybody's very involved here, and and uh, I don't know if they were happy to be there. I've heard some some stories. Cheney Cheney was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and after this film was done, Universal declined 
his contract to, to re up his contract because Glenn strange playing the monster was stuck in like uh, wet sand or something all day and was cold and Cheney kept fi- feeding him a bottle of whiskey and he got him drunk oh my and that lands on Cheney's head you know and mm-hmm. Cheney, Cheney was a wonderful performer Cheney had some personal demons we've talked a little bit about that on the show but I think one of the great horror figures and uh we're gonna talk about his performance in depth in just a second but uh so I think everybody was kind of happy to be there for the most part <laughs> And uh, I think it really shows. There's a sense of fun and camaraderie yeah. in this movie that I think really, really shines through. Yeah, I, I got that from this, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It, it it doesn't take itself too seriously. It is what it is. It's it's kind of bubblegummy fun. And I, I love... I enjoyed watching it. That's the thing. I enjoyed watching it. I did, It was too. entertaining. That, yeah, that was it for me. I really liked watching it. Like, again, I can't really put my finger on what I was missing. I'll tell you what it's missing an ending. The damn thing they, they get the Frankenstein monster up and like he shows up for like 90 seconds True. and and Cheney goes uh it's the Frankenstein monster and the and the building comes down and it's like the end. The end. There a you universal go. picture. <laughs> Literally that's it. And you're like, "Okay." I feel like okay. I felt like you, you remember the remember the clip from Raw of Eddie Murphy doing Richard Pryor? Yeah. Is that all I'm going to get? <laughs> Is that all I'm going to get? Like, Honestly, I had to rewind it because I don't know if I looked down or something, but I'm like, did I miss did something? I, miss? I swear to you, I was like, did I miss yeah. something? Because I'm not really sure where we went here, you know? Because you have the great, strong, and, and yeah, I am maybe fairly <laughs> or unfairly comparing this to House of Frankenstein, but rightfully so. You know, you have that great ending in House of Frankenstein where, again, Karloff is now graduated to playing the mad scientist, he's in effect Dr. Frankenstein now, mm-hmm. and he sinks in the quicksand with the monster. What a great I know. ending for not only his his you know tenure there in Universal Horror Pictures, but for that picture. Right. And, and it's just it was just the perfect, perfect way for that movie to right. go out. And this is just kind of like it's a Frankenstein monster. The end. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, okay. It was a magic act. We told you he was in the movie, but he's not really in the movie. <laughs> Don't blink, you'll miss it. Abracadabra. <laughs> Abracadabra, yeah. Yeah. He's almost the invisible man. Tried to get him in there. <laughs> kind of did. But, uh, and, and, and uh, look, it. Well, then, then too, it's like, it's like, cool. It's Frankenstein's monster. Just lay it in some yeah. mud or something for a second. Yeah. It's like he's just kind of in yeah. there. You're not really getting the full effect of him. <laughs> I have to tell you, too, I love the fact that, like, the uh, the Doctor Neiman character that Karloff played in House of Frankenstein they account for like his skeleton being there and I love how they <laughs> oh he must have sunk here <laughs> the mud must have like where the hell how the hell did it sink all the way down like I know I, I give them credit for trying to establish some <laughs> kind of continuity but I don't know why they tried to establish any kind of continuity when they don't account for the fact that the Wolfman and Dracula show up alive in this film and they were very clearly dead at the end of House of Frankenstein. Yeah, But whatever. It's a very fun movie. It really is. It's always a treat to watch a Universal monster movie no matter how bad it. some of them Especially when you get, you know, a group of monsters together. But you get, yeah, the monster rally. Yeah. So, I mean, look, that's a very... Two, five, and three. I think that's. I think that's I think right. It's on. fair. Uh, so our next uh, category is vampire lust. So we will we will be looking at the character of Dracula as portrayed by John Carradine here. Now, John Carradine, we have talked about Bela Lugosi on the show. We've talked about Christopher Lee. Have we 
talked about, we ha- did talk about him with House of Frankenstein a little bit. I don't feel like we went to full. I don't think we went full. He wasn't in that much. Right. Had a very small role. Um, Which I feel like we have again here. Have we what? talked about any other portrayals of Dracula outside of these three guys? I think that's I it. I think that's it. You could make a case for Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge and yeah. Frightening. I mean, as another vampire, but it, but Dracula, like, yeah, this is it. Right. The three guys. Um, I gave him a three. <laughs> okay. I gave him a three. Okay. Because I, I do feel that John Carradine brings elements that are in the book that we have not really seen to this. I feel that uh, Christopher Lee, we've talked about his performance, has that very sexual, physical mm-hmm. energy to it. Bela Lugosi, of course, has that too. He's more of the mind mm-hmm. game. I feel with John Carradine, and this is me, mm-hmm. I know you have a different opinion on this, I feel like here we get the real charming, aristocratic guy that could blend very well into, you know, upper, yeah, the upper echelon of society. I feel like we get that guy. I know you don't like the mustache, <laughs> but he did have a mustache in the book. And Christopher Lee in 1971 made... Uh, a film in Spain where it was a little closer to the book. He actually had the mustache. Too. I think it's the look of him in general here, him specifically mm-hmm. with the, like, it, it, he, he doesn't look like Dracula. I went one five on it because okay. he lost me. He really did. It, he, okay. I kept the, the thing that kept popping in my head. He reminded me of like a magician or something. Ta-da. I don't know why. Like, I, like at a kid's that, party? Like, like, like with, with the a top, top hat? hat? I don't know. It just did oh, not. Oh, my faith. You just cracked the code. You know who he looks like? <laughs> he looks like the magician in the Frosty the Snowman cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> bitsy, that bitsy, or he bitsy. reminded me of like, I don't know, Captain <laughs> Hook or something with the okay. mus- I don't know. He just okay. did not read Dracula to me for some reason. And I don't feel like we got enough of him. That's very fair. I will say, I didn't feel like we got. He would just kind of entered. Enough of he Dracula, left, yeah. And then the doctor was turning into a vampire, and I just feel like we were like, yeah. And it. I do feel like, uh, you know, he comes to be cured, and then he's back to his evil ways, you know. Yeah. But I, I like the performance. I, I, I the yeah, way it's he, written. He's not terrible. I, I can, we can go there about the way it's written because I mean, there's a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense here. <laughs> I like the charming performance. I like the whole thing with the music. I like the whole thing. With the uh, hypnotic nature of yeah. him. And again, I feel like this, of all three that we've talked about, this is the one that really kind of fits into, you know, would be an aristocrat, you know. And so I get that vibe completely. Yeah. yeah. Again, I just, he just lost me in the, I don't know, his eyes weren't there for me. It just didn't okay. have, it just didn't have that. I don't know. I guess between Christopher Lee and, and Lugosi, there is a vile nature to them. Yeah, and I absolutely. feel like he didn't have that predatory, his, yeah, predatory nature. He, yeah, he did not feel okay. like that to me, and yeah. that's that's just why I went a little lower. He just had a different vibe. He uh, he definitely doesn't feel like the kind of guy like with Lugosi because we were talking about Lugosi with the black cat, and I'd watched Dracula and Lugosi's character, and that feels like a guy who needs to feed, mm-hmm. he, even. Looking as normal as mm-hmm. he does. He feels like a guy, though, that he, he's going to... And like Christopher Lee definitely fe- feels like the guy I that needs to feel. I feel like you can feel those two guys off the screen. Like, you can feel them through the screen. I feel like that's this what guy, I was missing here. This guy does kind of feel like he wants a little bit of action. Mm-hmm. 
and I and I get that, you know, and that yeah. is that is part of the character. So I do feel like the the kind of sexual nature of the character is kind of represented here because he's showing genuine interest in right. uh, Martha O'Driscoll's character. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but I I will agree with you that he is the weakest part of the story, and he should be the strongest part of the story considering it's called House of Dracula. Thank you. <laughs> That's. That's exactly where where I'm at. It's just kind of like I don't feel like we got enough from him. I feel like his story was a little yeah untold, not finished. And that's absolutely, it. absolutely. Uh, moving on to a character, I think that we're both going to be a little more in agreement on uh, Full Moon Fever. Uh, talking about the character of the Wolfman slash Larry Talbot, played by the great Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, I went four here. And I think this is my favorite outing, maybe outside of the original film, what he's doing there. But this is even four years outside of the original Wolfman film. This is so different from what he's doing Mm -hmm. in the original Wolfman film. And I feel like everything that he had been doing in these uh, sequels, you know, House of Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, really comes to a head here. I love this performance so much. And he's sympathetic and tragic. But you know what he gets to do here that he doesn't get to do in the other movies? He's. He's heroic. Yeah. He's heroic. Yes. Yeah, I went I went three five on him just because he really stood out to me. I mean And it wasn't even as the wolf. No. It was him. Him. There there was a there was a serenity to him almost. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to psychoanalyze Lon Chaney Jr. I, you know. Right. I don't know if he was nice and buzzed when he was, <laughs> you know, making the movie. I don't want to make light of that. But yeah, yeah. But there there's a there was a real kind of presence to him there here. There really was. And I wanted the movie to be all about him. I really, I really did. did. I did too. I, you know, and this is maybe my favorite performance of his. It as, is of mine. As Larry Talbot. And I loved him in House of Frankenstein. He was charming in House of Frankenstein. There's a, we've said this about, Ch- we said this about Cheney on Son of Dracula when we did that. He's a character that elicits a lot of sympathy. Mm-hmm. And the Dracula role just wasn't suited for him. This, right. man, you want him to be the hero. You and he do. is. He is in a lot of ways. It's, he's really wonderful here. No, he, he just, there's so much emotion coming off of this guy. Yeah. And I feel like you can really feel his pain and the want to be different and better. And yeah, you root yeah. for him. And again, I wanted this movie to be about him too because yeah. he was just so good. Any anything uh, that I find lacking in this film, he makes up for. Mm-hmm. He, he's and it's, and it's and it's all him. And, and he's not yeah. even he's the wolf in two scenes. And yeah. I don't, I didn't even care about seeing the the werewolf. I wanted to see him. I and did I think, too. Especially after he has his whole operation where he's fixed and he's and he's he almost becomes a protector in a way. Mm-hmm. And and he's really great. And I wanted to see him go up against Dracula. Yeah. Like really go up. That's what I wanted this I did too. to be. And uh, that would have been really interesting. But this, you know, doing the 200 show tonight and you have Boris and Bella, I, I think it's, it's a treat and a privilege to have what I think might be his best performance. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe outside of the original movie. Right. But here it just feels so just, it's kind of like it's been building toward this. Exactly. And here it is, mm-hmm. you know, and I love and everything I love about the Talbot character is is just amped up in this because he's the one as a kid I always had the most sympathy for because he didn't ask for it, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And uh, 
and, and it's even tr- more tragic because he knows what life was like before that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now he's living with this. And, and we talked about this with American Werewolf in London. Landis said, you know, you can look at the werewolf as like a cancer victim, you know, a guy mm-hmm. living with some, you know, you can read anything onto that. And right. I just feel like this before, there's something really special to me about this performance. Oh, I totally agree. And he really kind of stole the show for me. Mm-hmm. Really did. For me so. too. Uh, moving on, uh, our final category, assorted creatures and rally participants. Would you go with? Well, I was originally going to score this lower. Mm-hmm. I was going to score this lower than I did. So let me preface with this because I, I feel that the Frankenstein creature is so woefully underused in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, it, it really almost begs the question, why was he in it? He was in it. Because you see him laying there quite a bit, and then he kind of comes to life at the mm-hmm. end. And again, as we've said, you get Cheney. <laughs> it's the Frankenstein monster, and and the rafters fall on him. Okay, I was going to go lower. Mm-hmm. There's two reasons why I scored it how I did. Okay, I scored this at three five, and okay. I will say it is because of uh, Dr. Edelman. Mm-hmm. That performance, I think, really carries mm-hmm. this movie. He's the 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 center. Of the movie, he's, he's he really is. He's the he's the kind of straight line through, and Cheney's performance is the kind of beating heart of mm-hmm. it. But he's the he's everything else around it. Right. You know, if his performance doesn't work, then the Cheney performance isn't allowed to work. The mm-hmm. other reason I scored it how I did is because of Jane Adams, <laughs> who plays Nina the Hunchback, and I think what a wonderful kind of. 180 mm-hmm. from House of Frankenstein, where we had uh, J. Carroll Nash, who played Daniel the Hunchback in that film, which we both really like that performance. Oh, yeah. And he's uh, monstrous mm-hmm. in appearance, and he is monstrous at times in personality, but there is a sympathetic quality. You at least are able to understand why he's doing some of the things he's doing in that film. Right. Nina in this film is the voice of reason and conscience and even though she's quote unquote deformed, she's kind of the most beautiful, pure character in the, in the piece. And I yeah. loved her performance. I loved her, her looks and, and the way that she, uh, just everything about what she, what she brought to it. I love, I loved it. I, I thought, did too. And, um, I wanted more of her and more of, uh, Cheney. I did too. No, I went, I went three cloves of garlic right there. Again, you, you said Frankenstein's monster, Kind of, a, I feel like kind of a miss. Yeah, a little bit. yeah, very, very. You got Dracula and Frankenstein kind of missed a little know, bit. Yeah, missed a little bit. Yeah, but everybody else, I feel like they were just so good for for this movie. I feel like they were grounding it so well. Yeah, and, and, and they made it work for me and made it enjoyable to watch. Yeah, you know, regardless of any problems I had with it. Yeah, so. totally. And uh, again, those two performances really are great. But Nina, there was something really kind of magical to me about there her really too. Was. And uh, and it was that actress and, and that look she has. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love how she's introduced. You don't realize she's a hunchback, and right. you see her was through a magnifying glass, I believe. She's working with uh, a serum or flower, whatever it was, and and then she turns, mm-hmm. and as she you see her, uh, you can't see her back, and then you see it, and you see, and you go, oh mm-hmm. wow. I thought it was just a really, it's a really nice little touch. I think you so know? too. And uh, it, I feel like that character really kind of uh, 
defies the expectations. Mm-hmm. I, again, what I said earlier, subverting expectations. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a phrase they love today, you know. <laughs> and uh, I feel like her character defies expectations. So right. the, the quote-unquote ugliest character in the piece is actually the one with the most mm-hmm. kind of purity about her. Yeah. You know, and she's working to, to cure herself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's really great. But uh, Dr. Edelman, though, he, yeah, he was so good. He was really he was really great in the uh, uh, transformation scene where he starts going descending yes. into madness. I love the uh, surreal psychedelic quality of that, the, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the starts spinning. I love that. You know, I thought that was really, really well done. I do, too. Thought the whole thing. It, it's a fun movie. It's not a quintessential watch. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, it's the thing I feel like House of Frankenstein kind of is a quintessential watch. Mm-hmm. I feel like you kind of need to see need that to see movie it, yeah. because it is all of them together, mm-hmm. you know, and that spirit, even though it's almost 20 years old now, that spirit still lives on in, in stuff like Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that monster rally. We want it for some reason. We want to see these monsters you know, together. House of Frankenstein also influenced uh, one of my favorite films of all time, The Monster Squad from 1987. Yes. So I think there's something to be said for these these monster rallies. And uh, yeah. I, I don't like this as much as The House of Frankenstein, but this is this is fun. It's a fun oh, yeah. watch. I had no problem watching it. I mean, it's fun a, watch. Yeah, very enjoyable. Just yeah. not my favorite movie ever. It's a, I think it's a nice pairing with the black cat mm-hmm. for tonight. Talking about universal because you have, well, I've said it on the show before some of the sequels with universal hammer has them beat on the sequels. You know, mm-hmm. some of the sequels kind of, mm, you get into some <laughs> weird territory, but uh, you kind of see the two sides here where it's a uh, real kind of serious macabre stuff mm-hmm. with black cat. And now you get this, you mm-hmm. know, which is fun. Fun. Yeah. It's gum, it's, it's, it's bubble gum, you know, it's, it's fun. And there's something very comforting about this too, for some reason. I don't, I know. I don't, I don't know why. Don't it know why. really is. So, well, as we said, the films tonight, we're, they're not in competition. We're just, uh, you know, scoring them mm-hmm. and, uh, we're going to tally up our scores at the end of the show. We're going to take a very short break. This is a news break. So be sure to stay tuned for all of the fake news not fit to print. I am Dan and I am Faith and we will see you on the other side. straight dope because they want the straight dope on the straight dope join me this week for an east-west shootout we've got brown la haze going up against long island chill promises to be really exciting i'm also going to talk about my favorite jimmy buffett tracks and um, some of my favorite Smoking paraphernalia. This promises to be really, really exciting. I, um, I hope you tune in or not. I, I really don't care. 
The Straight Dope with Harrison Ford, the big HF, only on. What is this again? It's WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio, Harrison. Yeah, whatever. official. Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina has blown up. No, not her real vagina, but something that smells like her vagina. Gwyneth's candle smells like my vagina, available on her Goop website for the low, low, low price of $75, recently exploded in someone's house. According to an eyewitness, the candle created quite an inferno. Everyone is okay, and the incident has led to several funny internet comments. We're not going to do that. We're not going to stoop to that level and say, oh look, Gwyneth's vagina is on fire. Okay, maybe we just did. But we didn't take pleasure in it. It's like I've always said, Gwyneth, while charming as a mofo in the Marvel Comics movies, has apparently lost her grip on reality. And her vagina. In local news, area inventor Vinny Vincenzo's new cola drink, Jitters, that's Jitters with a Z, has been taken off the market after allegedly, and we stress that, allegedly making someone explode after taking just one sip. What is it with explosions tonight, Faith? The soda allegedly made up of a complex mixture of seven types of sugar, three types of caffeine, as well as the adrenal glands of hummingbirds, has been taken off the market pending an investigation. Authorities are still looking for the man that lit a cigarette on the fart patio of the Evangelical Vegan, Cozy Corner's premier vegan restaurant. The cigarette, when combined with the methane fumes from spicy black bean curry night, lit up a whole city block. Seriously, what is up with explosions tonight? I'm really not sure. And finally, if you're still listening to this show, there's probably something wrong with you. And that is the news. We will be back with our final scores for The Black Cat and House of Dracula, as well as a preview of next week's show. We will see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. We're so glad you're still with us, and thank you for letting this drone on in your ears for a little while tonight. Yes, absolutely. For the 200th time, we are very grateful for that. Thank you all for tuning in, whether you've been with us since the beginning or whether you're a new listener. Thank you, one and all, especially to those astral beings or interdimensional travelers that may be joining us tonight. Well, Faith, we have the scores Mm -hmm. for the Black Cat and House of Dracula. How did this shake out tonight? The Black Cat came out with 3.9 bags of kitty litter. Very good. And House of Dracula, 2.9 cloves of garlic. That's about right. Three and four if you want to round it up. No, that's that's (laughs) about right. About right. Both very entertaining. 
Very entertaining. Very entertaining. Always a treat, as I said, to watch a universal horror movie and always a treat to watch Bella, Boris, and Lon Chaney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we have what I think is going to be a really wonderful episode 201 coming up. It's been a long time since we've done a Stephen King film. In fact, it's been almost since we started this show two years ago. Misery, I believe, was the last film that we did Mm -hmm. by Stephen King. So we're going to rectify that with a double feature next week. Next week, we have, from 1983, director David Cronenberg, The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken. He's always fun to watch. Mm -hmm. We also have Brooke Adams, Tom Skerritt, and Martin Sheen in that film. It's a really wonderful film. Really, really good movie. One of the great King adaptations and one of the first that really kind of got it. Carrie did a great job, but there was a rub on King in the 80s that his books, you know, they couldn't do them right. Well, mm-hmm. Dead Zone did a great job with it. He he likes the adaptation. We're going to pair that up with another 80s King film. Uh, it is based on on his uh, novella, I believe, Cycle of the Werewolf, but uh, it's an original screenplay by him from 1985, Silver Bullet. So we got a movie, a little supernatural bit with a psychic, and then we've got a werewolf film. So Sounds good to me. Kind of the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> right. Silver Bullet stars Corey Haim, Everett McGill, and the one and only Gary Busey. He, he's a creature all unto himself. I love <laughs> Gary Busey. He's wonderful in that picture. So it should be a lot of fun. Yes, it should. And Faith and I, uh, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. So please tune in. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Uh, I think we we have a nice slate of movies coming up. Oh, yeah. We've really been taking our time picking the movies. And we're going to be doing double features from here on out uh, for the foreseeable future and scoring them. Yeah, I think think it's fun. I think it's a nice way to kind of round out the movie for the most part, yes. you know, kind of. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, really get it's, our opinion. It, it's a nice way to quantify the movie and, yeah, and exactly. without going too overboard. And right. It kind of focuses the review a little mm-hmm. bit. So uh, we're having fun with that. So uh, we'll let you know what those categories are next week. And it should be a lot of fun. But these are two very good movies. And uh, so go ahead and watch them. And uh, if you'd like to follow along at home. Coming up, we're going to have some Vincent Price. Uh, we're going to be doing... Uh, in March, we're going to be getting to Terminator 2 and Aliens, pitting Ripley and Sarah Connor against one another, and uh, a lot of fun stuff. It's a lot be of good. fun stuff coming up. So yeah. thank you all again for tuning in and letting us, uh, like I like I said, drone on a little bit in your ears. It's a pleasure and a privilege to do this show, and we are so glad you all tune in. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can at Late Night Fright Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from each and every one of you. So that's it, Faith. Episode 200. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. can't believe we're already at 200. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's two, awesome. Two years. I know. Two years doing this show. It has really just flown by. I know. So thank you. Thank you. And thank all of you out there. Yes, thank you. Does it feel like it's that time? It does. One, two, three. Well, there it is. Time to say goodbye once again. Mm-hmm. Have we heard the chimes at midnight? Yes. I think we have. I think Bill Shakespeare said that. I've said this before. If you throw out a Shakespeare quote, it automatically makes you sound a little smarter than you really are. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I need to sound a lot smarter than I am. (laughs) Thank you all again. Thank you, Faith. This this whole endeavor has been a lot of fun. Yes. And uh, 
Uh, I'm thankful for what we've done. Really looking forward to what we got coming Me up. Me too. So, well, we got The Dead Zone and Silver Bullet in our immediate future. So watch those if you'd like to follow along at home. Faith, take us home. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. We'll see you for episode 201.